And if we're already in an intimate partnership, that person is not nearly as intoxicating as our new drug. Maybe they were at some point, but they're just not anymore. This often can lead to our feeling resentment, frustration, lots of secrecy, and even disgust. They may start to pick up on some of that and see that something's going on, even though they're not really sure what it is they're experiencing. This person who used to fill our heart and our soul and our minds now seems lifeless and dull when we compare them to our new obsession. Welcome to Love Addiction Recovery Over 40. I'm your guide, the coach in your pocket, Lacey Bentley. This show explores how to heal from your love and sex addiction and save your marriage. If you aren't sure where to start or what comes next, this is the place for you. I've spent 23 years leading women through addiction recovery, and I can tell you for sure, no one succeeds alone. You've got this, and I've got you. Let's get started. Let's talk about love addiction. It's actually an oxymoron when you think about it. It's like saying carrot addiction or broccoli addiction. And while some of us might actually crave broccoli from time to time, do not judge me. It's not possible to be addicted to broccoli. We can't be addicted to love either, though we can crave it, yearn for it, and know we need it. The actual addiction is to a shift in brain chemistry that comes from either the start of a new romance, the unforbidden or dangerous nature of the relationship, or a secret fantasy life we indulge in when life is overwhelming or stressful or whatever. These might also be referred to as limerence, romance, or fantasy addiction. Maybe you've heard of some of those terms, but love addiction and sex addiction, one of its components, are most often used. For the sake of this podcast, and because I have personally dealt with limerence, romance, and fantasy addiction, we're just going to call them all love addiction for now. So why is this a problem? Well, because what we're after isn't actually love, but infatuation, attraction, brain chemistry, and some form of arousal. The initial arousal might not even be sexual or romantic at first, but feelings of safety, we call that sexualized safety, being seen, or even intellectually stimulated, which is actually, or used to be, not now, because I've dealt with it, my kryptonite. In truth, though, This is improper boundaries. We're lacking boundaries and all of the stimulation, this arousal, the obsession that comes with it. And ladies, you know what I'm talking about. It's a distraction from reality. And that distraction can feel amazing because there are actual chemical changes in our brains and bodies when we're infatuated, aroused, curious, or something is new, forbidden, or dangerous. Thus the bad boy syndrome, right? And we can actually start to crave this high and seek it out as much as we can find it through interactions with our target or qualifier, as we call them in 12-step recovery. Every text from this person or to this person, every glance, every word becomes a drug and we get to where we crave more and more of it. We want more and more and we start to go further and further to get that attention. It distracts us from work, our studies, childcare responsibilities housework, even hygiene, ladies. And if we're already in an intimate partnership, that person is not nearly as intoxicating as our new drug. Maybe they were at some point, but they're just not anymore. This often can lead to our feeling resentment, frustration, lots of secrecy, and even disgust. They may start to pick up on some of that and see that something's going on, even though they're not really sure what it is they're experiencing. 
this person who used to fill our heart and our soul and our minds now seems lifeless and dull when we compare them to our new obsession. And yeah, like I said, this person often becomes an obsession. That's the nature of this beast we call love addiction. And this stuff is no joke. We need a lot of support. Finding support can be tricky, but I'm going to give you a few ideas. Because I've experienced this multiple times myself and I have found incredible healing over the last 13 years, I've decided to share what I know with you. I hope some of the stories, skills, tools, and grief I'll share will help you find the courage to gain your own recovery. I want to support you in this journey, just as countless women and a few key men supported me. And this brings me to my first suggestion. You need more than just this podcast. You need community. You need recovery meetings. You're going to need professional guidance, and you're going to need education. I can help with some of that as a women's relationship and recovery coach. I also have a community you can become part of. I'm not all you're going to need, though. Your therapist is not all you're going to need. Your 12-step group and sponsor is not all you're going to need. There are a lot of players that you're going to need to help you truly recover and heal. You, however, are the first and foremost and the most important player you have. You are the most important advocate you have. And I hope through your recovery journey and listening to this podcast, you can become that strong, courageous, empowered woman who will stand up for herself, who will take care of herself, and who is who you've always wanted to be. You're going to need friends in your day-to-day life to help you make the tough decisions to hang in there when the withdrawals are kicking your butt, and they will. And also, when you're certain you cannot live without your latest obsession, you have to text them. You have to check one more time for an email or a Facebook like or whatever. You're going to need someone to literally help hold you back emotionally and sometimes physically. I actually used to give my phone to my husband and say, don't give that back to me. Sometimes you need people who are actually going to be the ones kicking your butt, not just the addiction and the withdrawal, but these people in your life who are taking a stand for you when you don't have what it takes to take a stand for yourself. And trust me, you will thank them later. You need these people to help remind you of what you have to lose, how much you matter, and what you have to gain in recovery. And I would love to be one of those people for you through this podcast. You're going to need additional support with that. So who? Who are these people you're going to need? For starters, you're going to need some trustworthy friends and maybe family. Now, I know not everybody has family members or friends that they can be really honest with, really candid with about critical things, but you're going to need someone. And if you don't have any, there are ways you can get these people. Now, if you do, that's awesome. Ask them for help. And I'll give you some tips on that. If not, you're going to need a community of other women. You're actually going to need that anyway, a community of other women in recovery, like the one I run on Mighty Networks. You're going to need these women you can connect with and learn from who are further along the way. This is what the 12-step recovery meetings, therapy meetings, recovery groups, that's what they're for. And I think it's best as women in recovery, even if we're attracted to other women, I think it's best that women recover together as opposed to with men. It's just another dynamic. And men's recovery needs are a little bit different than women's in the social aspects. It just seems to work better for a lot of us to be in 
women-only recovery settings. So what you're going to need from these people, accountability. You're going to need someone to say, I did or didn't text, or I did my recovery reading, or I did attend my meeting, or I didn't attend my meeting. You're going to need somebody, maybe more than one person you can be accountable to. And you're going to need safe places to share about your journey in addition to your recovery meetings. So who you tell is up to you. Let me give you a few ideas on how to bring it up. But first, I want to share a story from my own experience that will demonstrate to you the kind of women I'm talking about. So this was the night I realized I had a problem. A close friend was with me. And in fact, without her, I may never have faced these patterns in my life. I'm already getting emotional. We'd been going out to dessert once a week. It was about once a week for over a year. We'd get our kids to bed. Our husbands would hold down the forts and we'd go out for dessert at one of two local restaurants. And it was great. We'd just talk about what was going on. We'd laugh. We'd unwind. It was awesome. And there was this waiter who shall remain nameless to protect the also not so innocent in this story. So this story, just a side note, debuted in my book, Addicted to Love, but I wasn't ready to claim it publicly yet. And I didn't want those who knew that woman and myself at the time to invade her privacy. I didn't want to make this a thing for her. So I didn't own it as my own story back then. Things are very different now. So I am owning this as my own story and I'm ready to share it with you. So we're at this restaurant having dessert and we had usually had servers that we would sit in their section specifically We'd get to know them and they were fun. And up until this point, they had always been women. Our regular server, she had moved into a different shift, I think. And so we had had this man service a couple of times when she was not available. And about, I would say maybe two months or so into this server serving us and we'd go and be in his section, which for me, I now know is a big, big red flag for me. Back then, I was in complete denial, not aware of what was happening inside of me. So this guy starts to get pretty comfortable with us. He's attractive. He's more of a flirt than I was at that point. And that's not a compliment. He was a few years younger than me. And he was way more comfortable with us at this point, And I way more comfortable with him than is appropriate on any level. So one night, he comes and he sits down on the bench next to me to take a break. So she's sitting across from me and he comes and sits down on the bench right next to me. And I scoot over a little bit to make room and to make it even better. He puts his arm on the bench right behind me. So his arms like up around me on the bench. I didn't even flinch. I was loving the attention. My friend, however, she was not impressed. (laughs) So shortly into the conversation, I noticed that she's actually like spinning the steak knife on top of the table. And I was like, that's weird. And we meet eyes and she locks her eyes on me and gives me this look I've never seen before. And I knew something was up. She then looks at this waiter, glares at him, points her cutlery at him and says, don't you have a job to do? And then she points it at me and turns to me and says, and you are married. She sets the knife down. Mind you, she's not actually threatening us with this. She's just pointing and making her point. She sits back, folds her arms as this man, very smart man now, scuttles. He's out of there. Somebody else brings us a check a short time later. Don't see him again, partly because 
We never went to that restaurant again. Until years and years later, we went with our husbands. We bought them dinner kind of as a, I really owe you one kind of thing. So that was actually one of the most uncomfortable moments of my entire life. This woman was my closest, dearest friend at this point. We hung out all the time, like every day. When I say all the time, I'm dead serious. All the time we were hanging out. Kids the same age, it was a blast. And she is probably the only woman on this planet who could have gotten to me in the way she did when she did. I'm a Christian and I really believe that that was a God moment for me. One of those come to Jesus moments. To this day, I am so grateful for her. And this is what you need, friends. You need women in your life who love you enough to kick your butt when you act like that. This is exactly what I mean. So I want you to search out and you will find them. Women like this, women who will call you out, who will hold the lines that you're okay crossing because your addiction is talking. This woman's courage literally shook me to my core. I had never seen her upset, let alone so angry. She had nothing to say to me the whole ride home. Thankfully, it was a short ride home. And I got out of the car, I remember saying, sorry. And she's like, talk to you tomorrow. And I went in my house. I did not sleep that night. However, that is when my recovery journey began. The next morning, I remember calling her, this is before everybody texted all the time, and saying, can I come over for a minute? I owe an apology. She said, yep. And so I came over and I said, I've been looking into stuff. I think this is something called love addiction. I'm looking at meetings and I need help. She said, okay, are you going to get it? Yeah. Thank you for being willing to call me out. That must have been so hard for you. And then she started crying and I started crying. She's like, please don't ever do anything like that to me ever again. And so we just put off going out. I said, I don't think I'm in a place to go out for a while. And she said, me neither. So we didn't, we didn't go out for a while. I was being a bad friend. She was being a fantastic friend. She was doing the exact right thing. I was married. There was nothing okay. And me scooting over to make room for this guy to sit down. And she knew it and she was willing to call me on it. So these are the kinds of friends you need. Now, how do you ask for this kind of support? Start by determining with this individual, how much do you feel ready to share about your journey with this particular person? And find time, whether it's by phone or in person, to ask them for their support. And they're probably going to know what you need. So have an idea or two so they can just jump right in supporting you. When you first bring it up, Share with them that this is hard for you and something you need help with and make sure they are feeling open to supporting you. Some people have a lot going on and they just can't or this hits close to home and they're like, whoa, I can't do this or whatever reason. Others just need to know what they're supporting you in before they can help you, but they're in from the beginning. So share what you feel ready to share about your behaviors, your acting out, the meetings you're planning on going to and what you feel like you might need most from them. Maybe it is you actually need help finding meetings or additional resources. Maybe you need someone to drive you to your first meeting and wait outside because you're terrified. And if you drive yourself, you know you're going to leave. Maybe you don't know for sure what you need. You just know you need someone right now while you take the next few steps. And maybe you need someone to call you out. I guarantee, ladies, you need someone to call you out like my dear friend did. And telling her that story, this woman you're talking to will give her a starting place. So please feel free to share this podcast or even just share that story I just shared with you 
about the night I realized I had a problem and I had someone who loved me enough to hold a line for me that I had crossed and that she knew in my right mind I never would have crossed. So this brings me to intimate partnerships. Do you tell your intimate partner and how? I'm going to get into how in a later podcast about disclosures and discovery day, that kind of thing. Right now, I just want to say, if your intimate partner or spouse does not know anything yet, that will have to change soon. They are going to have to know if you want to have a fully healed and honest relationship with them again. Also, you will always have this question at the back of your mind. Would they have stayed if they knew what all I had done? And you will never be able to answer that question because you didn't let them know. You were not honest. You're going to need their support. And I guarantee you, they're going to need a lot of support. And from you, you're going to need to do a lot of reassuring. So in my opinion, full transparency with your intimate partner or spouse is completely necessary. I am not recommending you do that tonight. I am recommending you get a trained professional to help you with this as soon as possible. So my next point, I want to talk about your kids. Yikes, right? Do I tell my kids? It really depends. I have three adult kids and one about to graduate high school. My situation is different right now. Now, when I entered recovery, they were like, 16, 13, 12, and like 10, maybe just a tiny bit younger. But it was right around there when I was really getting a handle on what was going on and how it was affecting my family. And my husband and I decided they were too young to know at that point. And that once they hit about 16 or so, we would be willing to answer their questions if they came up. Well, we decided that before I decided to write a book and tell my story. So once I wrote my book, they were 18, 15, 14, and 12 at that point. Once I wrote my book, we let them know what it was. It's called Addicted to Love, and it's about my love addiction and fantasy addiction. And they have access to that book. They have permission to read that book, and they have permission to ask me or my husband any questions they want to once they're 16. This is a really private decision. It's a really personal decision, and it's between you and your intimate partner if you have one. I know not everyone listening has an intimate partner and not all podcasts are going to be so heavily focused on that. But for this very first podcast, I wanted to address the most important components of love addiction recovery. So there's another story I'd like to share with you about one of my kids asking me questions. And it was kind of funny. So I'm sitting talking to our youngest, who's now a senior, and this was within the last year. And I commented on what good friends they had and how much I liked their friends. And I mentioned that who we are can be determined by the five people we spend the most time with. You've probably heard that. And I felt that they were headed in a really good direction. I really liked these kids. They were good kids. They were respectful. All the stuff that you hope for for your kids. Now, my offspring know what I do for a living. They know I help love and sex addicted women recover and rebuild their relationships and cut off their affairs and all of that. We're also very open about sexuality, addiction in general, especially pornography addiction, and that I can relate to my clients in a lot of ways. So we're sitting there and I say this to my kid, I love your friends and the five people you surround yourself with the most got my two thumbs up. It's fantastic. And so my kid kind of grins and looks at me sideways and says, 
So does that mean you're a sex addict? Okay. I was not prepared for that. Jaw drops, eyes pop open, and I am, probably for only the third time in my entire life, speechless. I think I said something like, uh, huh? He says, well, you're always talking to your clients and they're sex addicts. So are you a sex addict? And so I responded, honestly, took a deep breath, probably a couple. No, I'm not. That's a fair question. I'm a love addict, fantasy addict. And I kind of explained that. There's not a lot of differences between love and sex addiction. I expounded a little bit and encouraged them to just be on alert for themselves and to come back to me if they had any other questions. That conversation with my kid was incredibly important to me and to them. I was able to be honest. They were old enough for a little bit more details. And for the most part, I let my kids direct the conversation on what they want to know. I'm honest with them. I don't give them a lot of details because they don't need details. And my husband and I have already talked about how much are we okay with them knowing this affected him in big ways. And there are parts of it he doesn't want out there for anyone. And that's okay with me because this is his recovery too. And these were my choices. And now I need to give back to my children and my husband, their voices and their choices. And so that's what I'm working on in my own life. Continually hope to help you be able to do as well. Thanks for listening. Can I ask you a favor? If this resonated with you, will you leave a review on Apple Podcasts? Your input allows us to reach more people and make a bigger impact. Next, if you're wondering whether or not you're ready for recovery, take the quiz by going to www.herrecoveryroadmap.com forward slash quiz, where you'll find the right next step for you. Until next time, don't forget, you've got this and I've got you.